For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offered continually, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the roll of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. After saying above, Sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law, then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this we will have sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. After saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and upon their mind. I will write them. He then says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, we ask for your condescension to us now in the special way that you must condescend to speak through a sinner. Would you, Jesus, please, may we hear from you and your mind as I proclaim uh, the meaning of this passage. Would you please make sure that nothing I say would be contrary to what uh, you mean by the words you've written. And would you please make sure that, um, indeed, I would faithfully expound the meaning of what uh, is found in this text to your people. And would you please bless us through this means of grace. We ask it for your sake and in your name. Amen. Children, you know uh, what the tires look like on your car, right? You all know what a tire is. Uh, There are four tires on each vehicle that we use, uh, I expect, unless you're riding a bike, in which case there are only two tires, or a tricycle three. 
you know that on cars, you may, not, you may or may not know this, but on cars, they often have what's called a spare tire. Now, back in the old days, spare tires used to be the same size as the actual tire that is on your car. But nowadays, in the last 20 years or so, maybe longer than that now, they've been, they've been putting these little donut spares, they call them, in the back of the trunk. They're kind of a joke, actually. Um, they're, they're the little small tires that you can put on and uh, if you, in an emergency, so you can get to a tire place to get a, a new tire, but they, they don't last very long, the, the little small tires do, the spares, the donut spares, they're sometimes called. Well, I saw just within the last uh, week and a half, I think, maybe it was even the last week, but it was probably, it was in, definitely within the last two weeks, I saw this car and it was an older car, um, and it wasn't in the best of shape. And this car had three regular tires on it, but then it had a donut spare on it, on the passenger side in the back, and I was kind of driving behind the car. And the donut spare didn't look like it was going to last much longer. The person was, they were about to be on foot. It was, uh, it was not... It was not really up to the task of carrying that car much further. I bring this up to you because it kind of illustrates the inadequacy, that is, doesn't really, isn't up for the task, the inadequacy of things that are found in the old Mosaic Covenant that we're going to be talking about today. You know, we're talking about the old Mosaic, you've heard me talk about the old Mosaic Covenant perhaps. Well, now we're in the New Covenant age, or the New Covenant administration, which is a fancy term. But in the Old Testament, uh, for much of the Old Testament period, they were under the Old Covenant administration, or the Mosaic administration. But it was, it was a spare in some sense. Kind of like that spare tire. It wasn't really the real deal. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't what the church ultimately needed. It was just a temporary I don't know if I can call it a fix, but I'm, I'm going to call it a temporary thing um, that needed to be replaced with something better. And that was the New Covenant, which we are in the New Covenant age right now. Uh, you can be very thankful that that's the case, that we don't have an altar with blood all over it up here uh, like was the case in the old uh, Mosaic Covenant. But anyway, we're going to look at the, uh, the adequacy of the New Covenant over and against the inadequacy of the Old Covenant and I'll uh, mention those points here again in just a moment. Just remind you of what's preceded our text here in chapter 10. Um, uh, it concludes, chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, uh, that we're looking at today, concludes a section that the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it was, uh, but we know the ultimate author was the Holy Spirit, but this concludes the section that the writers of Hebrews began back in chapter 7, verse 1. So that's essentially 7, 8, 9, uh, almost four chapters. Uh, and we're looking at the tail end of that section today in verses 1 through 18. Back in chapter 7, the writer clarified why Jesus had been designated a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And the reason for that 
that Jesus was designated according to the order of that king, ancient king, was because of the multitude and unique ways in which Melchizedek was well-suited to serve as a type of Jesus, as a type of Messiah. And that's back in chapter 7, and we looked at that some weeks back. In chapter 8, the writer contrasts the ministry the superior ministry of Jesus as the mediator of the new covenant with the mediatorial efforts, the inadequate mediatorial efforts of the Levitical priests and high priests of the old Mosaic covenant. (coughs) Then in chapter 9, the writer explained that the two-compartment design of the Old Testament tabernacle and temple, by extension, was intended by God, he designed it, of course, gave the, gave the uh, blueprint for it, and that, that two-compartment design of the temple and tab- tabernacle was designed by God to highlight uh, one of the foremost deficiencies of the old Mosaic Covenant administration, and that is that free and unrestricted access to God, represented by the Holy of Holies, and was not granted to his people under the Mosaic Covenant administration, only to one representative, the high priest, who alone could go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. Um, and that design of the temple and the tabernacle pointed to their inability to get in there. Everybody else had to stay out. Deficiency of the Old Covenant administration, which uh, this is a review of what we've talked about. But anyway, this restriction of access to the divine presence underscored the imperfect and, we'll call it stopgap, character of the Mosaic uh, administration and its provisions. That leads me to the two points, again, um, which are exactly as follows. First, we look at the provisions of the Old Covenant The provisions of the Old Covenant were inadequate to qualify God's people to approach and serve or worship Him. And secondly, the provisions of the New Covenant is wholly adequate. The provision, singular, of the New Covenant is wholly adequate to qualify God's people to approach and serve or worship Him. First, in verses 1 through 10, the provisions of the Old Covenant were inadequate. Uh, to qualify God's people to approach and serve him. Um, All people, uh, all human beings, all descendants of Adam, are conceived and born in sin. You were, I was, all of us were, uh, believers or not, elect or not. And God, who is infinitely holy and just, utterly loathes and detests sin regardless of whom its perpetrator is, elect or non-elect. He hates sin. He hates your sin. He hates my sin. Because of who he is. If something were not done to remove our sin and the guilt of it from God's sight, we would be forever barred from his holy presence and subject to his eternal wrath and punishment. I trust I'm not telling any of you anything new. Now... Uh, now, the Old Covenant was an administration of the one covenant of grace which God first announced uh, uh, in the garden uh, in Genesis 3.15, shortly after the fall. The Old Mosaic Covenant was an administration, as are, is the New Covenant. Uh, it, too, is an administration of that 
one covenant of grace, as is the Noahic administration, the Abrahamic, uh, and so on, the Davidic. They're all administrations. But the provisions of the old Mosaic covenant administration were powerless in themselves to bring about the removal of the guilt of the sins of those sinners whom God wished to save, you and me. And also the Old Testament saints, by the way, who were alive during that period of time. Why? Why were the provisions of the Mosaic Covenant uh, powerless to bring cleansing and to bring uh, us into God's presence? Well, because the provisions of that covenant were mere shadows of the um, source of salvation, mere types, if you will. The first verse of our passage makes that point. We read um, of these types, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices year by year, meaning offered in the Old Testament age, um, which they offered continually, make perfect those who draw near. These shadows were types uh, whose God-given purpose was to foreshadow the one who would actually accomplish the removal of the guilt of our sin uh, from, uh, from God's sight. Um, Jesus is that ultimate um, Uh, reality that actually brings about cleansing. He was the ultimate reality that actually brought about cleansing for the old covenant people. They were not cleansed by the blood of those bulls and goats. As he states very clearly here in verse 4. No, it was only as, as the people were looking through those sacrifices to the one they pointed to, foreshadowed, that they were forgiven. They were looking to Christ. The Old Testament saints were forgiven by the work of Christ and their faith in that yet future work. When he says there in verse 1, for the law, um, he is. this is another way of referring to the old Mosaic covenant. It was often called the law or the law covenant. Uh, that's what's being referred to when it says for the law. Um, when he speaks of drawing near in verse 1, um, Uh, at the end of the verse, which they offer continually, it can never make perfect those who draw near. Drawing near means coming into God's holy presence to worship and serve Him. That's the drawing near that's being referred to. And when he uses the word perfecting there, make perfect those who draw near in verse 1, it's clear uh, from both the immediate and broader context that what the writer means by that has to do with, means cleansing from, of one's conscience um, in a way that allows that individual, that sinner, to enter into God's holy presence in worship and service without fear of being destroyed. That's what the perfecting is a reference to, cleansing of one's conscience by being cleansed in the sight of God himself. Anyway, the shadowy, typical from the word type, provisions of that old Mosaic Covenant were unable, as I've said, to get this cleansing accomplished, this ultimate cleansing accomplished. At least they couldn't in themselves do that. They didn't have power to do that. And this is evident, by the way, that they didn't have such power. Uh, Those provisions is evident from the fact that the sacrifices required under the old covenant 
had to be repeatedly offered. Uh, we've read this previously in the writer of the Hebrews, but he keeps re-emphasizing this fact. So we need to keep doing that because the writer does that more than once, so I'm going to do it more than once. So even if this sounds familiar, you just need to hear it again, apparently, the Lord thought. So um, they were offered repeatedly, and that's evidence of their uh, inability to get the job done. That's the point he makes in verses 1 and 2. Um, uh, verse 2, otherwise, um, meaning it can't, uh, it can't uh, by the same sacrifices, perfect those who draw near. And he says in verse 2, otherwise, would they not uh, have ceased to be offered? The sacrifices would have ceased to be offered if they'd got the job done. That's exactly his point. Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, it was accomplished, if, if it had been accomplished, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. They would have had a clear conscience before God. His point is, those sacrifices didn't get the job done. That's why they had to be repeated over and over and over again. Uh, and he goes on in verses 3 and 4, I'll read it in just a moment, to make the point that the thoughtful, read spiritually minded, Old Testament Jew, would have been regularly reminded by the, of the rather inability of the animal sacrifices to actually cover his or her sins from God's sight. They would have been reminded of that by the fact that the sacrifices had to be offered over and over again. There was no finality of one particular sacrifice. Verses 3 and 4. But in those sacrifices, the Old Testament ones, there is a reminder, there it is, of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It didn't back then. It certainly doesn't now. If the Old Testament worshippers' guilt had been re- uh, really and permanently washed away by those blood sacrifices of old, there would have been no need for more sacrifices. But God, under the Old Covenant administration, demanded the repetition of the various sacrifices. And the reason he demanded their repetition was because they in themselves never actually got the job done of atoning for sin of the people. The writer quotes from Psalm 40 to make this very point. I'll start in verses 5 and 6, and then I'll uh, skip down to verse 8. Therefore, when he comes, he is Jesus, uh, the final sacrifice. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, quoting from Psalm 40, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, meaning animal sacrifices, but a body thou hast given, hast prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure. Now skip down to verse 8. And after saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast not desired, thou hast, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. And it keeps going, but I will stop there. So he makes the point in this quote, they couldn't get the job done, those sacrifices. Um, now, again, I made this point, I'll make it one more time. The Lord did, as an Old Testament Jew, was offering up his sacrifice, handing it over to the priests for slaughter. The Lord did take pleasure in their sacrifices, those sacrifices, when the offer was offering it up in dependence upon the one 
whom the sacrifice foreshadowed, the Messiah. Depending on him, trusting in him to actually accomplish their forgiveness before God and their cleansing before God, even back uh, in the Old Testament age. God did was pleased with those sacrifices. And by the way, this reminds me, in our, um, in our confession of sin from Psalm 51 today, he speaks of, um, he speaks of uh, whole burnt offerings thou dost not desire. He means mere burnt offerings. You need to think that as you're saying that. It's, he's, his concern is not that they were at all displeasing all the sacrifices, but mere external sacrifice. That is what displeased the Lord. That was not a righteous sacrifice. The righteous sacrifice that is described at the end of the psalm there are those that are offered from the heart in dependence upon the Messiah. So that was an aside, but I'm glad we providentially read that this morning so I could remind you of that fact. So, he took pleasure in the believer who offered up those animal sacrifices, but he took no pleasure in the sacrifices um, as an actual source of atonement, of covering their sins from his sight. So the inability uh, of the provisions of the old Mosaic covenant to actually cleanse the conscience of the Jewish believer not only are seen in the repeat, uh, the repetition required of those offerings, but also in the ceaseless activity, the frenetic activity, if you will, of the old covenant mediators, the priests. They are described in verse 1 as having to offer sacrifices continually. Um, In verse 11, um, the writer refers to them as having to minister daily and as offering sacrifices time after time. That phraseology is found there in verse 11, you see. They were constantly doing stuff that was required in order to affect ceremonial, at least, cleansing for God's people. Regardless of how much these Old Testament mediators did, it was never enough to cleanse the worshiper. Nothing that they did, the mediators, really and permanently covered the sins of those they were acting on behalf of. Their work was, in some sense, futile. Why? Why were these Jewish priests and their sacrifices not adequate to the task? Well, the priests, they weren't pure enough. They were sinners themselves. So they were, they were not the right kind of priest, ultimately. They were impure mediators. And the sacrifices that they offered up on behalf of uh, the people weren't valuable enough, not even close, to placate God. Deficient on both counts, the priest and the sacrifice. That's why they didn't get the job done. Obvious applications for this to today. You, I, none of us must ever look to a sinful human being, a sinful mediator, um, First of all, to be our mediator uh, and or to offer some sort of a sacrifice to God on our behalf to grant us access to God and a cleansed conscience. We must never do such a thing. 
Such mediators couldn't get the job in the Old, uh, Old Testament Israel's day, and they certainly can't get the job done today. I trust that you folks know that the Roman Mass of the Roman Catholic Church is considered by them to be a re-sacrifice of Christ each time it is offered by their priests. This is why we get indigestion about some of their theology, uh, we Reformed folks, because they've got priests who continue to offer sacrifices, and they claim the sacrifice is Jesus, who needs to be re-offered each time the Mass occurs. It's highly problematic. Don't ever become a Roman Catholic, is what I'm trying to tell you, or anything that uh, resembles that kind of theology. It's uh, unbiblical in the extreme. Well, while the provisions of the Old Covenant were inadequate in terms of their ability uh, innately to qualify God's people to approach him in service and worship, the provision, singular, of the New Covenant was absolutely and is absolutely adequate. Adequate, in fact, seems to be wholly, a wholly inappropriate term to use because it's so underwhelming. Um, to describe the effectiveness of Jesus' cross work on our behalf, but adequate's what I chose. Second point, the provision of the new covenant is wholly adequate to qualify God's people to approach and worship him. Verses 11 through 18 make this point. Um, the, by the way, uh, in verses 11 and through 14, he, uh, the writer makes commentary to this effect and then quotes the passages that he's just commented on. It's kind of strange. Usually you quote the passage, and then comes the commentary. More often than not in the Bible, we'll hear you have the commentary, and then comes the passages that, that support the commentary. So I'm going to read verses 11 through 17, uh, which make this point of the adequacy of, a, of Christ over and against um, the previous um, provisions, starting in verse 11. And every priest stands daily ministering, this is uh, in the Old Testament age, and, and even uh, possibly if this was written before 70 AD, it was still going on in Jerusalem uh, in the writer's day. And every priest, uh, and it probably was written before 70 AD, and every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, but he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, implying the work was done permanently, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and upon their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Uh, indicating the uh, complete sufficiency and adequacy uh, and efficacy of Christ's one sacrifice for all time for the believer. Unlike the provisions of the Old Covenant, the provision of the new covenant, Jesus gets the job of qualifying God's elect, his people, to approach him, uh, his holy presence, 
Jesus gets that job really and permanently done. We have approached him in this worship service. We are, in some sense, in heaven, or heaven has come down, whichever way you want to think of it. We are before the throne of God right now in corporate worship. and That happens every time we gather in corporate worship as a people. Why does Jesus get the job done? Because And his sacrifice, because unlike the provisions of the old covenant administration, those provisions which were merely shadows and types of the real provision, Jesus is the real thing. He made available uh, the blessings of the new covenant, including drawing near to God with a cleansed conscience, an actually cleansed conscience. He really accomplished that in his cross work, in his life death, resurrection, and ascension. He purchased the real and permanent forgiveness of our sins and the sins of all of his people down through the ages. Verse 18 makes that point. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any sacrifice for sins. Sacrifices don't need to be offered anymore because uh, forgiveness of God's people was affected, past, present, and future for all of God's people. The writer uh, Paul in Colossians makes the point likewise, um, starting in chapter 2, verse 13, where he says, And when you were, you Christians, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, Christ, made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which were hostile, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Uh, Jesus is also one who uh, purchased the positional holiness of God's people, of us, uh, and of all of God's people down through the ages. Um, in verse 10, he speaks of this. By this will, we have been, meaning the will of Jesus, which was referred to in the, uh, in the uh, quote in the, found in the previous verse, Behold, I have come to do thy will. Excuse me, that's the will of the Father there. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. God, you see, sees as perfectly holy, as sanctified already. Notice it's in the past. It's actually a uh, perfect, in the perfect tense in Hebrew uh, in Greek there, which means it's a past event which has ongoing consequences. That's, that's what the, uh, the Greek perfect means there. And he, it's in, found in the Greek perfect. He says, by this will we, the writer and all of his readers and you and I, we have been sanctified. That's called, by the way, as opposed to progressive sanctification, which is also a biblical concept, uh, and more often than not, that's what's being talked about when you read about sanctification. There's progressive sanctification, but there's also what theologians refer to as definitive sanctification, which is what we read right there in verse 10. Read of right there. That is, um, uh, we are uh, perfectly holy in God's sight. We are sanctified, fully sanctified in God's sight if you will, in the courtroom of heaven, in this life. We are seen that way by God, even though we aren't perfectly sanctified in our experience. Not even close. But we are, in his sight, uh, 
already sanctified on account of the fact that the perfect obedience of Jesus rendered by him on earth as our substitute has been credited to us in justification. And that crediting of his righteousness to us in justification brings about a definitive sanctification in terms of the way God views us. Hope you got that. It's important stuff. That's why God doesn't beat you up or beat me up. That's why he's not, he's not going, wait, 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 wait. You didn't, you didn't pray, you didn't pray hard enough that time, you know, or where's, where's, I need more faith than that. Or, uh, you, uh, you had a, you had, your motives were not pure when you, uh, uh, were doing such and such, supposedly in my name. I didn't see perfect motives there. He doesn't do that, folks. He's not, he's not there searching around for your imperfections. Aren't you glad? Yeah. Definitive sanctification, remember it. Product of justification. But distinguished from it, I need to say. At any rate, Jesus is the one who purchased and guarantees that we also, uh, as in the New Covenant, uh, will be made actually morally perfect in glory. So we are, de- we are seen as morally perfect by the Lord, definitive sanctification, um, and growing progressive sanctification. But we will actually be perfect one day. You will. I will. Those of us who are in Christ or will be in Christ before we take our last breath. Verse 14 speaks of that. For by one offering he, Jesus, has perfected, that's the perfect there again, uh, the Greek perfect has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. How did he do this? How does he guarantee that we will actually be perfect uh, in the end for all time, for all eternity? Uh, that we'll, uh, we will be perfect experientially. He did this by taking to himself our humanity. Back in verse 5, which is, he speaks there, when he, Jesus, comes into the world, referring to when he came into the world, he came into the world by becoming what? A man. A human being. And then he speaks of the body that uh, he received when he became a man in verse 5 there. Um, But, and by the way, he only mentions the taking of himself to himself a uh, human body there in verse 5, but he also took to himself, and this is very important, a human soul or spirit. They're one and the same as well. Um, there are some ancient heresies that arose that uh, denied this, or an ancient heresy that denied that Jesus had his own, as it were, human spirit, that he was fully human, because to be fully human means you have a body and a, hu- a human body and a human soul or a human spirit. And Jesus had to be fully human. So he had a human body, still does, and a human soul. Which was not absorbed by the divine spirit, which is another heresy called absorptionism. I believe you guys named Eutyches, as I recall, held to that view. No, Jesus had a human spirit or uh, um, soul, which is evident from chapter 2, verse 17, 
which I'm not going to read right now, but I am going to read Matthew 26, 38, where Jesus says this. He said to them, Jesus here was talking to um, his disciples, and he says, he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved. This is before he went to Gethsemane, or in Gethsemane. Notice, my soul is deeply grieved. Jesus was fully man. He took to himself our full humanity. And by willingly offering up himself as a man, as the God-man, as a sacrifice, he guaranteed our ultimate perfection, experiential perfection in glory one day. The Old Testament animal sacrifices did not go uh, to the altar that they were offered up on willingly. None of those animals did. This is one of the reasons why they were, not the only one, but one of the reasons why they were not acceptable to God as a real propitiation of the sins of his people because it wasn't a willing sacrifice that was offered. Those animals fought tooth and nail before they were put to death. More than likely, anyway, when they figured out what was going on. Jesus, however, did go to the altar, if you, if you will, the metaphorical altar, willingly. And verse 7 and 9 make that point where Psalm 40 is quoted. His words in Psalm 40 uh, are quoted. Uh, I read that, Behold, I have come to do thy will. The Son speaking there uh, before the incarnation. I have come to do thy will, the will of the Father. He And the will was that he should serve in a body as the ultimate sacrifice, typified by the animal sacrifices of old. Jesus covenanted with the Father in eternity past and the Spirit, uh, willingly consenting to do, to act on behalf of you and me, those whom God wished to forgive and bring to himself. And Jesus reaffirmed his willingness to act as the substitute of God's elect the moment he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, alluded to there in verse 5. And Jesus steadfastly acted, willed rather, to act in this capacity as our substitute throughout his earthly life, his 33 years, up to and including the moment that he yielded up his spirit. Paul speaks of Jesus being obedient unto death in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Because Jesus was willing, was a willing sacrifice, who was both fully God and fully man, he got the job done once and for all. He actually not just ceremonially, actually cleansed the hearts and the consciences of God's people, of you and me, and made us acceptable to God so that we could come into God's presence and serve and worship him for all eternity. Verses 12 and 13. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Jesus accomplished all, and he did it out of love for you and me. It's the only reason he did it. Well, 
I should say that, the glory of God as well. You must be looking to Jesus and what he did alone in his life, his perfectly obedient life as a man, as the God-man, his death paying off the infinite debt to divine justice that his people owes to God, owe to God, his resurrection to newness of life and his ascension into glory. You must look to that cross work of Christ alone to cover your sins from God's sight and to cleanse your conscience. Are you? Are all of you? Children, are you? Are you looking to Jesus alone to forgive you? For God to forgive you? You must. He's your only hope. He's your only hope. And mine as well. And we must, when we approach the Lord in prayer or in worship, prayer is, a, is an element of worship, of course, but I'm just talking about private prayer, or in corporate worship, whenever we approach the Lord, we must always, this is an application now, must always consciously do so through the merits of Christ alone. Not because you had a good day spiritually and therefore God should hear you. Not because you read your Bible this morning. Not because you witnessed to somebody and saw some good results from that. Nothing you do is um, should be offered up to God as a reason, either verbally or non-verbally in your head, as a reason why God should listen to you, but only the merits of Christ. That's the only way you are heard. That's the only way you are accepted. That's the only way uh, you are pleasing to God is when you come through Jesus alone, praying in his name. And God will hear and gladly respond with blessings from on high, but only in Christ. And if you don't have Christ, if you've never trusted in him alone to save you from the hell that you deserve and that I deserve probably more than you do, but that we all deserve, the only way um, that you will escape the the flames of hell for all eternity is if you are trusting in Jesus. Trust in Christ today. Let's pray.